This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Where's am I? Well, I'm going to start recording because I want to put this story on the record. <laughs> yes, so I am drinking a McDonald's large Coke at 1041 at night. And no, you cannot judge me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Sometimes I just get these late night cravings and it's like I need something sweet. And we did not have anything in the house. Yeah, uh, Michael. Maybe I'm pregnant. Maybe oh you gosh. are. Maybe I'm pregnant. Maybe I'm having no, a No, if you child. were pregnant, there would definitely be sweet things in the house. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. You sound like you have experience with this. I don't know. Yeah. It hasn't, okay. you know, it hasn't been too bad. So I leave and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go get like, I'm going to go get like a shake from Chick-fil-A because they have some of these awesome like peach shakes or cookies and cream shakes are so good. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to mm-hmm. go there. Drive to Chick-fil-A. It's closed. Okay. Yeah. Come on. It's like one minute after 10. They closed at 10. Like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> all right. What are my other options? There are no other options. Like, pretty much nothing. So, I'm like, all right. I'm resorting to McDonald's. They have shakes there. So, I go to the drive-thru. I'm like, hey, I'll have like a uh, large chocolate shake. And they're like, oh, our ice cream machines are shut down for the night. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? I said to the lady, I was like, lady, you're killing me. I was like, you don't have any ice cream? She's like, no. I was like, do you have Sundays? She's like, no. I was like, you don't have any ice cream? None. No ice cream. She's like, no. I said, did you shut down your Coke machines for the night too? I said, do you still have your Coke machines or any? I felt so bad after I said that because I was being really snarky. And it's totally not her fault. Like, what is she no. supposed to do about it? Yeah. I'm a jerk. And so I didn't I didn't say it as aggressive. It just, just came across, but I did say it. And it was snarky. And she's like, Oh uh, yeah, no, you can still get Coke. So I got a large Coke, and that's what I'm drinking right now. Uh, and I am doing it with uh, frustration and spite in my heart for the <laughs> McDonald's that no longer has ice cream. <sighs> so I'm surprised. Like, do. do your are your McDonald's not open 24 hours a day over there? I think they are. That's the thing. I think that is. Ah. I, I'm almost positive that one is no ice cream. I mean, that's why I was like, what in the world? That's crazy. Can you problems. get? Do they do absolutely first world problems? Because they recently started. I say recently, probably in the last six to twelve months. Our we call it Maccas here because we abbreviate everything. Everything's <laughs> shortened over here, yeah. and they they recently started doing like the all day all day menu. So you know yeah. you can get breakfast all day, you right, can get right, right. bacon and egg muffins oh, all day. You can get that's the best. You can get you know Big Mac for breakfast. No worries. When uh, when we went to this one of the baby classes, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before, the midwife was saying that, you know, if if you come in for a scheduled cesarean, the mother has to be fasting from I think eight o'clock the night before. And you get in you get into the hospital at like six thirty in the morning. And the father needs to make sure they have a big breakfast and have lots of energy because they're not gonna be able to, you know, they won't have a chance to eat again for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I said to this midwife, yeah, I'm going to be sitting there eating a Big Mac <laughs> yeah. and driving my pregnant wife to the hospital after she's been told she's not allowed to eat oh for the last 12 gosh. hours. I don't think my life That's will be worth living happen. after that. Correct. <laughs> Correct. No, that's what I was thinking. It was like, 
how are you going to pull this off again? Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wife, you have to fast. You are not allowed to eat anything. Oh, by the way, we are totally aware that you are supporting not only the life of you, of yourself, but the life of mm-hmm. another person inside mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you are the one who cannot eat. Dad, make sure you eat a really big, juicy, delicious breakfast because you're not going to have a chance <laughs> to eat during... Wait a second. You are a midwife. You have been around pregnant women before, right? Yeah. yeah. Also pregnant women who cannot eat. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. That's so horrible. Anyway. Yeah. Nothing Luckily against pregnant us, women. I mean, around no, anybody who doesn't eat, but I mean, seriously. Yeah. I they mean, have every reason in the world to to be frustrated if they can't eat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how how women do it. It is quite remarkable all of the like stress that their bodies go through and just having this little thing in there kicking around. Especially ours is getting quite violent now. So oh my. <laughs> um yeah, it's like it's really good, but they go through a lot and you you know i mean you know you've done this four times to just like we just kick around and do not a lot really for nine months yeah <laughs> well it's weird so like we're gonna have to get started on this show eventually hey folks we've got like uh, we're five minutes in almost i promise we'll get started soon here if you want to skip the rest of this stuff just go to like six minutes in we'll we'll finish this up <laughs> in the next minute hopefully okay but i know for me like especially with our first and even with the rest of our kids really honestly it wasn't really reality until the baby was here like for the mom it's reality because the baby's inside there and like kicking around or whatever like you said and it is like somewhat real for me i guess but it was always just like it was almost like a shock when the baby was born like oh my gosh it's a real baby like right here here it is okay all right time to start being dad yeah i guess (laughs) so anyway yeah fun times man i'm super excited for you guys you guys are gonna do amazing do great things yeah yeah well we found out this week that we're also gonna probably we're most likely gonna gonna go full term we won't have to schedule a cesarean which is nice great that's awesome man yeah so sometime in the next flip around because wasn't that the concern wasn't the baby like the wrong position or something no the the baby was in the right place it's just the placenta wasn't quite out the road and the sonographer and the obstetrician had difference of opinion on what out the road meant but the, the obstetrician's happy that it's it's moved out the way enough so yeah, just a matter of waiting now. And uh, sometime in the next four to, well, six to eight weeks, I guess, we'll... Uh, oh, my gosh. We'll be there. We're going to be a little baby Dorinda. All right. Yep. I have to get, have to get all my uh, American presents to send over to Aussie land. Get, get them ready. <laughs> all the Heck American yeah. necessities. <laughs> all right, man. Well, we should probably get started with this stuff, I guess, huh? <sighs> yeah. I guess. This is what the people come to hear about. <laughs> all right so let's take a look well we ended last time with speed up laravel on top of swool i'd be interested to hear if anybody did this so the claim was that you get like a 30x increase in performance mm. because it essentially makes it so your app doesn't have to reboot you don't have to do the full reload of the application on every uh, request so you can yep. get quite a few more requests in there because it's just basically storing it in memory and then serving it up so, yeah, it looked interesting. I'd be interested to hear back from anybody who who tried that out. Uh, next after that, mm. though, was Sublime Text 3.1 is released. So this is big news. There's a lot of people out there who use Sublime Text 3.1. And even if you don't currently, there's a lot of people who got their start on Sublime Text 3.1 or was their first, like, you know, like the first program where you learned all the bindings. I know for me, that was exactly yeah. the case. Like, I was like, oh, Sublime Text, like, there's this duplicate line. There's like multi-cursor selection. That was a huge one. Right? Yeah, I think multi-cursor selection was the biggest thing for a lot of people, but I think yeah. also it was sort of the 
the editor that when people jumped on it, they really went and learned all of these things because they were kind of intuitive and they were easy to remember. You know, Vim does a lot of this stuff, but Vim's key bindings aren't necessarily the kind of thing that you're going to remember unless you're doing it all the time. So, so Sublime Text has been around for like 10, 15 years now. So Yeah, and it's kind of like... Been, the, I mean, it's been the, ages. The creator is kind of like a ghost a little bit, isn't he? Like he'll come and like work yeah. on stuff for a while and then he just like disappears for like a year. And then everybody's like, he just gets dead? into like, like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just the Aussie way. Like I'm pretty sure he's, he's based here somewhere. The main creator of it and uh yeah he'll just come in work overtime for yeah, a few months and push a new release out and then just disappear so yeah so let's get into it what are some of the what are some of the five highlights here what are the highlights from the announcement you want to read through some of them yeah i mean a lot of it was just around polish and and a better all-round experience but it was more so around foundational elements of the of the editor itself so it wasn't a whole lot of front of mind stuff it was more quality of life improvements so don't expect any real groundbreaking changes and um, one of the highlights from the announcement was ligature support with controls That's for nice. customizing yeah. open type uh, for those who who like the ligatures like fira code or whatever is that the one that has like the yeah support i think for like if you do the triple equals the main one it will substitute it with that like special like the triple the, line the long equal sign yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So all those kinds of things, um, they've shifted away from the TextMate. Well, so not they haven't shifted away. They still support the TextMate style. What do you call it? Color, color scheme schemes. format. Yeah. But they've moved to a JSON style format now, which is a little bit easier to customize your color schemes. For anyone that's interested in that kind of stuff, there's now syntax definitions for Git file formats, which makes it easier to use Sublime Text as an editor for git so where you would do like a git commit and that would pop up vim in most cases on the command line you can now get it to open up sublime text as well oh, that's so pretty cool it'll yeah. it'll handle git file formats a bit better um and there's a whole bunch of other stuff but there's also a really big improvement in terms of memory usage and up to 30 percent in some cases so it's huge you know yeah. sublime text is already really really quick it's now even quicker so if you are still on the sublime text bandwagon or you're looking at coming back or trying it out for the first time if you've got a version 3 license you can get the 3.1 upgrade you can grab the dev builds if you want to try it out those the dev builds are bleeding edge obviously and they they can have bugs from time to time but i don't believe you need a license to access those so definitely check it out if uh, you're a sublime text user or interested in trying a new editor because we all go through the phases of doing that in our day-to-day yep yeah i um Man, I use PHP Storm and Sublime pretty much in my daily daily development work. I tried code for a while, VS Code, and it's good. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm more familiar with Sublime. And for any power use sort of stuff, I'm going to use PHP Storm. So, yeah, uh-huh. I, kinda, I haven't really done much with it. Um, yeah, recently. I gave it a so, bit of a go again this week. And um, I, I tried it for most of this week. But I don't know. It's got all of these little pop-ups and tooltips and things that appear... Not long enough because I'm typing. I don't really use them, so they don't pop up long enough to to be of use to me. They're just this little annoyance, and I'm sure you can turn them off. But yeah, I jump jump back to Sublime Text by the end of the week. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the release for Sublime. Uh, we've got kind of like two different categories left here, which we've got Laravel up, updates. So we've got Laravel five six two zero. So five six it's five six twenty twenty one and twenty two are the are the three releases. So let's go ahead and go through kind of the hit list for those three, and then the rest of them are kind of like tutorials and packages. So mm-hmm. um, 
let's hit uh, Laravel updates and we'll start there and then move on. 5.6.20. This was released May 3rd. One of the first things mentioned here is this, you have the ability now to give the abort helper function or response or a responsible object. So previously, abort would just accept a message saying, hey, here's what I'm going to display to the user and then a status code that you could return with it. There's also a couple of really nice helpers with that, like abort unless or abort if, and then you could pass a conditional and then the message and then the status code. But this allows you to send through something like abort and then response JSON, just like you would normally do. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, instead of just aborting with a message and a status code, yeah. you can send back a specific response with the abort, which is pretty cool. Or a responsible element, which we've we've talked about before, where like that, that kind of do your JSON, your JSON transforms for you on like a model. So pretty cool. There's also, this is this is going to be really helpful for me. Uh, so it has two new methods to the task scheduler. So previously, if you're not aware of this, you used to have to schedule everything yourself. Every sort of job that you wanted to run on any sort of regular basis, you would have to schedule in your cron by yourself, right? And then scheduler came along and what you do with scheduler is you schedule it to run every minute and then scheduler will take on the task of figuring out which jobs you have to run by looking at your console kernel. So in your console kernel, you can schedule different jobs to run. One of the things that you can do that was uh, really helpful if you were using Envoy or something like that, Envoy would allow you to uh, set up heartbeats. And the heartbeat is essentially a URL that you are given. And then you can set up, hey, this URL should be hit every 10 minutes or every hour or every week or whatever. And if it wasn't hit, then it would give you an alert in Slack. Hey, by the way, this heartbeat hasn't been hit. You might want to check your scheduled jobs, make sure they're running. So the way that you would do that is you would schedule your command in your console kernel. And then as the last kind of string on this fluent chain, you'd say then ping, and then you would pass through the URL that you wanted to hit. So there's two new methods that you can use on the task scheduler. There's ping before if, and then ping if. So these will conditionally ping before or after a task, respectively. One of the things that I have right now where this would be extremely useful is I have my own health checks set up that aren't set up in Envoy or they're just all set up in my own little health check thing. And um, I have a job which will sometimes fail, but it's not like a true failure. It will start processing like 50 files at a time. And it may be that Mm -hmm. there's like a really huge file at number 20. So it will like gracefully time out and because I only allowed it to run for a certain period of time, and then it will it will pick up that job again on that one, and then again it might only run through it will run through that really large one, and then run through the next ten, and then time out. And so what ends up happening is it doesn't ping maybe for six or seven minutes, right? It doesn't ping in, and so uh, what ends up happening is I get a alert. Hey, by the way, this isn't running. It actually is running. It's just. I am, it's not finishing all the way through before, so it can get to the ping. So if I was doing this ping before, I could kind of let it say, hey, by the way, go ahead and ping out to it and let it know that it's running. And I could do this conditional if, where I could say, hey, if it's failed more than like three times, like if it hasn't completed more than three times, don't do the ping before if anymore. It actually is failing now, right? But I can mm-hmm. kind of give myself almost a grace period and say, hey, if it doesn't ping in within this certain period of time, don't worry about it, that's fine. It's still running, but that would allow me to be able to handle it a little bit better. Anyway, interesting. Pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah sorry. That was a long explanation for a very simple feature, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it was helpful for somebody. 
Last, the morph to relationship now supports with default that is returned if the relationship is null. So this is um, defined on a whole bunch of different relationships, has many, has one, belongs to, I think. This is with default that you can chain on to the end, uh, which will be returned if the relationship that is being asked for is null. And so now this is supported on the morph to relationship as well. So there mm -hmm. are a couple others, um, but I think those are the big ones. The fixes, fixed URL generator when request has a base path. Uh, I'm not going to try and explain that one on air. If you're interested in seeing that, you can check out the full release notes for 5.6.20, either on Laravel News or on the GitHub repo. Thanks to yeah. Tilcrust for putting those up. All right, 5.6.21. Do you want to take a look at that one? And 2.2, they're kind of merged together here. Yeah, so 2.1 came out just five days after 2.0. And this brought in some new comparison validation rules and Redis Connections now implement a new connection contract. So the comparison validation rules now give us the ability to test whether a given input is greater than or less than or greater than or equal to or less than or equal to. And these validation rules can be used to compare numeric values or file sizes, arrays, string lengths, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we previously may have done some custom validation rules or some other custom validation logic. These are now baked right into the framework if you have version 5.6.21 and above. The other thing that you can do is add a new language config for these validation rules, um, which is included in the post that we will link up in the show notes, which obviously includes all the various validation messages. So if you're doing an update, Laravel is not going to update your specific installation because that is your application side files and configuration. So you'll need to make some changes there. Otherwise, you'll not get any useful error messages. So that's that's the comparison validation rules. And because of the new Redis contract, if you have any custom Redis connections, you will need to add the new interface. So we'll link that up in the show notes as well. There is a new load missing method that was added to the Eloquent collection. So the what load missing does, and you can find this in the documentation for 5.6, is it will load a relationship only when it has not already been loaded. So there's a couple different ways that you can load relationships on a model or on a collection. Think about this actually. This is on a collection. So you have like eager loading, which you can do eager loading uh, if you call with. So if you call with and then you define the relationships that you want to eager load, you can do that. You can also do lazy eager loading, which is, hey, I've already fetched all the, I've already fetched the model and then I want to load it after the fact. And in that case, you use the method called load and that will go fetch them after the fact. And then there's also now load missing. So what this does is it says, hey, if I have books and the author relationship is not yet loaded, go ahead and load it. Otherwise, don't bother. So it checks mm -hmm. to see if the relationship has been loaded. And if it has not, then it will load it. So that's kind of interesting too. Hey, it's helpful because it means that you know, you're not loading it perhaps in your controller and then loading it again somewhere else and then right. you know, running that same query twice. So exactly. just about the optimization of the queries. Uh, just going back to this connection contract, this is essentially, there were some changes made in Laravel 5.4 where the Redis database class was replaced with a Redis manager and that class would return either a Predis connection or a PHP Redis connection. So all this is doing is just bringing in a contract to say that the subscribe, psubscribe and command methods must exist on the connection. Just um, for those who are using 
you know, IDEs and things like that so that you can get the, the helpful type hints in, in your editors of choice. Awesome. I was trying to think of this load missing where I would use this. And I think I've had a couple spots where I've had maybe like a convenience method that I've added onto a model where I'll be doing like a specific sort of query and it would be really helpful to have eager loading in that spot but you don't always know whether it's been executed in advance or not. So this would be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really helpful to use in that situation. Load missing. Pretty cool. Uh, I wonder who did that one. Let us find out and give some credit. Jonas Stoudenmeyer. By the look. Joseph J- Jonas. Jonas Stoudenmeyer. Munich, Germany. You want to uh, do your best German Stoudenmeyer? Stoudenmeyer. Stoudenmeyer. There we go. Jonas Staudenmier, perhaps. Uh, guten Tag and Danke schön to you. Nicely done. Okay, side note. This is a little bit embarrassing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I used to work at the world's largest Christmas store. Uh-huh. And I had to wear this little outfit. This, it was bad. It was bad. I looked like an elf, kind of. Um, very big elf. Very tall big elf. elf. Very big elf. It's like a red vest, white shirt, black pants. Like you just, you know, it was like very Christmassy. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they would have German glass blowers come in and make ornaments, which is really yeah. awesome. But they taught me some German. Of course, I've forgotten it all now. <laughs> Otherwise, I would join in with you and speak some wonderful German phrases to this <laughs> amazing contributor. But unfortunately, I cannot because I'm an American and I am not multilingual. Okay, <laughs> moving along. Quick, right, move, on, move on, move on. Move on, move on. That is okay. it. All right, that's it. That's all for Laravel releases. Okay, so let's take a look at kind of the tutorials and the packages we have here. Let's look at the packages first. So we've got actually a tutorial about developing packages. And then mm-hmm. we have a Laravel and Vue.js admin panel generator, which is like a package. We have the schemaless attributes package put out by Spassi. And that actually got a mention. Did you see that on Twitter from, did you see? I I didn't say, I didn't say. Uber Engineering. Was it Uber? Uber. That's right, yeah. Uber gave I them do a remember. shout out for Laravel schemaless mm. attributes, which is, this is a really cool package, by the way. We'll talk about that a little it's bit. It's a cool package, but more than that, it's cool to see a company as large as Uber that is using, I assume using Laravel. Why else right. would they be looking Correct. at this kind of stuff? And Correct. what kind of things are they storing in uh in JSON fields in a MySQL mm. database, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a good question. Probably your probably your current location. I'm sure it's all GDPR compliant, of course. The cookie and IP address and all the GDPR good stuff. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's also a Laravel credentials package for encrypted application secrets, which is also freaking amazing. Mm. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, super I did. Cool. I did. Super cool. Yeah, so we've got that. And then in tutorial land here, we have got introducing view components in Laravel, an alternative to view composers. This was by our, of course, the name is going to escape me now. Horrible. Jeff. Jeff Ocha. Yeah, this is gonna. This is by our good friend, Jeff Ocha. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk about that a little bit. Let's see what else we got. And then we got add user email confirmations to your Laravel projects, which I feel like that's happened. I feel like we've had something similar to that before, but this may be a little bit different. Hmm. Mm. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's start with developing Laravel packages with local composer dependencies. Let's take a look at this. Yeah. I did actually read over this one because it, it's interesting and it's something that I've been doing a bit of. This is an article that was written by our friend and favorite human, Paul Redmond. 
and he references a bash alias that Caleb Pozio came up with. So if anyone anyone has been developing packages locally, what you would tend to do is you would develop it in its own little repository and then depending on how well you know Composer, you might push that up to, up to GitHub and then pull that in. And every time you make changes, you've got to push and then pull into yes, your package, annoying. Uh, into your Laravel application and things so like annoying. that. It is annoying. It is a bit slow. And uh, so what this tutorial goes into detail about is how you can use Composer's local repository, so path repositories to develop from a symlink version. So what Composer would do, what you would tell Composer to do is to, when I ask for the package Laravel news slash updates, right? Instead of loading it from packages, which is the default, you can say load it from a path and then give it the the path that you want to load it from. So users slash Laravel news slash code slash updates. And when you request it, what Composer would do is that it would look in that path and it would symlink it. So it would bring a copy or a symbolic link of that directory into your application. And that means that you can work in the package's directory on its own and your changes will be available inside your Laravel application immediately. But this is a tedious process and unless you're doing it often, you will forget the syntax of what you need to put into your composer.json file. <laughs> yes. And I've done it, thankfully, often enough now that I do actually remember, but it took me a while to remember that you need to add in a repositories property into your composer.json, which is an array of objects, which has a type and a URL property inside it. So what this does is essentially it's just a little function that you can put into your bash aliases or your zshellrc or your bashrc file on your operating system of choice. And essentially what it does is it will take the default stuff so all of that type and path, and it will put it into your composer.json file for you automatically. And then you can symlink in without having to remember what the specific syntax is. So that's very handy. My issue is always like doing these things locally and then remembering to push and tag the release in GitHub or GitLab or whatever you're using. And then remembering to update your composer.json file and composer.lock file before you push the Laravel app out. Otherwise, you end up trying to do Oops. this install and it's yeah. trying to simlink from a directory <laughs> that doesn't exist in your production environment. So, Not good. Um, Not yeah. Good. Thanks both to Paul and to Caleb. I must have missed Caleb's post on this, but um, thanks to Paul for putting this article together. It is very helpful if you know developing packages is something that you do on occasion. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to jump up to Jeff Ocha's introducing view components in Laravel. So this is not a new, we already have components in Laravel, but Jeff Ocha is kind of coining a term here, view components. And he's giving this out as an, an alternative to view composers. So if in case you're not familiar with what a view composer is in Laravel, let's assume that you have a sidebar and on the sidebar, you want to populate that with all of the tags that you have in your application uh, that are related to, you know, you can tag a blog post with it maybe or something, right? So um, on every single one of your pages, you want that sidebar to be populated with those values. And those values are stored within a database. Uh, again, this is a contrived example, so take it for what it's worth. Um, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to on every single uh, 
controller that's generating a view, we don't want to have to go query the database for those tags and include it in the view. What we'd rather do is just be able to say, hey, if the sidebar view is going to be rendered, go ahead and uh, grab all of those tags out of the database and populate them as available in the view. That's exactly what a view composer does. The problem with view composers is that they can kind of be difficult to discover. The way that you do it is you make a new like service provider or you can do it in your app service provider but there's a couple different steps to do it. It's I always have to go reference the documentation every time I want to do it. And it's not discoverable for somebody who hasn't used them before or for somebody who is newer to Laravel. So all of a sudden you just see this tags variable in the sidebar and you have no idea where it's coming from, not a clue. And so you have to go track it down and it takes, you know, a decent amount of time and then and, and it could just be frustrating. So what Jeff introduces as an alternative here is these view composers. And so what he really attempts to do is co-locate all the code together, the stuff that you're going to be pulling from the database or from a cache or from a session or whatever, and put that all together with the view that you're going to be rendering. So in this case, he has, let's say, let's just continue with the example that I was saying, which would be sidebar composer. So what he does is he takes this sidebar composer and he has it extend this HTMLable contract, which has this to HTML method. And so what you can do in here is in your construct, you can include whatever values you want. You have the view make and you show, you uh, pull in the view that you want. You can uh, handle this just as you would handle anything as you would in your controller. You can return a view and you have all the methods available to you that you would have. It wraps it up really nice for you. And then the, the next thing that he does uh, in order to make this really nice is he creates a new blade directive called render and what this blade directive will do is it will accept the name of this view component that you're creating so in my sidebar component in this case and in your in your blade template wherever you want you just say at render pass in the fully qualified name of this class that you created and it will render out that view in that exact location so what this does, again, is it co-locates all the code, makes it super easy to find, super easy to discover, and allows you to use it wherever. The only thing that I wish was a little bit different was I would love it if you didn't have to actually use the fully qualified namespace here. Mm. I don't really know if that's possible. It's not like you can put like a use statement at the top of the view. Well, I mean, you could. What's that? Yeah, you could. I suppose. I don't know that it would make it any cleaner, mind you. No. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably would not. That's the only thing. Other than that, it's beautiful. So if you've ever had to reach for a view composer, you might check out this post and see if a uh, view component might be a little bit better option for you. Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested to see if Jeff uh, submits this as a PR or something, see what Taylor might think of that. Yeah. Interesting. I think it might be the, the terminology itself might be a little bit confusing with the current kind of what we have in Blade components. Uh, you might have to yeah. come up with a different name for it, but uh, I like the concept. I think the idea is really good. Yeah, the concept is really good. And especially as you mentioned that, you know, we talked about discoverability of composers and where you put these things that magically appear in views and you always forget about them. So you I do. think this is a really good, uh, it's a very obvious way of doing so. Okay. Yeah. So thanks in advance, Michael, for making me sound like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I ran a little <laughs> bit there and Michael made it sound like that was coherent. So thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, all right, what else we got here? Let's take a look back at the list. I think that is oh, the one of the tutorial that we kind of have is this add user email confirmation to your Laravel project. So let's take a look at that real quick. Uh, did you get a chance to read this at all? Uh, not this one Actually, and this is a package no. as well. This is a package as well. And I, Marcel Possier created this. 
And that's the, that was the difference. So the other, the other time that we've talked about this, it was more of a tutorial. And this is just a package. It's just a package that makes it really, really easy to handle uh, email confirmations. So this is, for example, when somebody comes in and signs up for your service, and then you send them an email saying, hey, we just want to make sure that this is your email, and then they click the button and it confirms it. So this makes that really simple. To give you an example or to give you a feel for how simple this is, the entire blog post for this is less than like, it's like a paragraph. So it makes it really easy to do that. If this mm -hmm. is something you find yourself needing to do, you should definitely check it out. Yeah. Cool. You want to talk Let's about talk two more things, the schemaless attributes and also the credentials packages. Okay. I'm more excited about the credentials one, and it seems like you know more about the schemaless one. So let's talk mm -hmm. about, let's do that in that order. Okay. You first. Go. You first. <laughs> That's the reverse <laughs> order. <laughs> Sorry. In the reverse. Let's do them in the reverse order. And okay. go. So the Laravel schemaless attributes package is another one by our friends at Spartsy, which allows you to add schemaless attributes to your eloquent relational models. So those words, that, that was a lot of words, but basically what this allows you to do is to store JSON inside of a column in your model record. And it allows you to put arbitrary attributes in there that you don't necessarily have to define as separate fields. So if you're storing, say, for example, user preferences or things like that, where you don't necessarily want to have like a profile field and a, a URL field and things like that, or even just options, you know, what time zone does the user want to have in the application, things that you would only pull out once and you wouldn't necessarily need to query against too often, you might choose to store them inside a, a single column in your database as JSON. So this package allows you to manage that quite simply. You will need to use a database that supports JSON columns. So if you're using MySQL, you'll need to use MySQL 5.7 or higher. And it allows you essentially to query these things out directly as well. So you could say on your model, call the with extra attributes method and specify the values that you want to pull out of there as well. So it's all, it's all pretty simple. It, it works in a similar way to how you would save save and retrieve any other attributes in an eloquent model anyway so check it out if that's something that you want to to look at the only other thing that you need to look at obviously is to add a column in your database to to handle the schemaless attributes which is done thoughtfully by the package you can just create a schemaless attributes property in your database migration and just give it the the column a name and uh, it will handle the rest for you so there are some additional steps to prepare your model for schemaless data, but all of that is in Spatsy's documentation, which we'll obviously link up in the show notes. Thank you, Spatsy, for putting that out. That's amazing. Super, super cool. I've, when you said uh, user profiles, I thought exact. I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, those sorts of values that... The other thing with those is, is like they're definitely going to change over time. You're going to want to add to them, maybe mm -hmm. remove things in, in future versions or something like that. And having to add and drop columns for those sorts of things, just it doesn't, it, it seems, I don't know, it's annoying, right? It's annoying. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. hasn't kind of like justified its own column. And maybe at some point it does, right? But this is a great spot to kind of like check out those features, try those things, and it doesn't cost you really anything. You can just chuck it in there. So that's kind of cool. Okay. The other one we have, which is also, I think, from Marcel Bossier, I think. Let me see. Double check that. It is. I have all my stuff being deployed through Envoyer. Bad situation, North Korea gets upset, takes out all the servers, you know, Envoyer, whatever. All my ENVs are stored 
in Envoyer. Like all my production ENVs are stored in Envoyer. I actually don't have a backup of my production ENV values. Now, worst case scenario, could I probably figure those out again? Yes, probably. Like in my ENV example, I should have been keeping up with all of the values that are in there. I should know, am I ever guilty of adding one without adding it to the env.example or example, you know, yes, probably. Also, are there things in there that have changed over time that I maybe haven't really kept up with or, or know off the top of my head? Yes, absolutely. So this is sort of like a single point of failure thing, which could be really bad, really kind of devastating. Um, in addition, <laughs> yeah. have you ever found yourself in a situation where you are working with another, another developer and you have to kind of copy and paste your local ENV values over to them in order for them to test or pull down the, the branch that you're working on, which is a huge pain in the butt, by the way, and makes uh, code reviews a lot more painful and a lot more difficult. And it's just annoying. So what this package does is this allows you essentially to be able to push up ENV values into source control. The reason why you would pre previously not do this is because you don't ever want secrets to be stored in source control in the case that they accidentally got exposed to the public. Now all those secrets are leaked. That would be a bad, bad situation. So you always want to keep these secrets in an ENV, which does not get committed to source control. What this allows you to do is essentially just keep one secret, which is your app key. And the app key is used to encrypt all the ENV values, and then you can push them up with your code. So then the, you just have to keep the one secret, which is basically like a master password, right? Mm -hmm. So you can think of this like one password for your GitHub ENV or for your, uh, for your Laravel project ENVs. So it comes with a really nice little interface that you can use to encrypt and decrypt and modify these values for, straight from the command line. But it allows you to have kind of a backup of all your ENVs, allows you to be able to share them between developers and to have them in source control. So you know when they changed, can actually see probably, you could actually see, of course, who changed them as well, just looking at source control. So this seems like a huge win for me for so many reasons. And I definitely think we're gonna be using this moving forward. The other thing that's really nice about this is it allows you to store it in sort of like a JSON config, which I know can be like in a, in a typical ENV, you only have, it's just ENV, right? It's like key value, key value, key value, key value. This allows you to store this in a JSON config and it uses array get under the, or like behind the scenes. So you can use dot notation to reference these as well. So. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. So basically what you would do is in your application, instead of using ENV and then referencing an ENV value, you just say now credentials, and then you pass in the key of whatever is in your encrypted ENV values. And that will retrieve, that will decrypt it and retrieve that value and put it in there for you. So that's pretty much it. I mean, really, it's super easy to include and get mm -hmm. started with. And it's all out here on laravelnews.com slash Laravel encrypted credentials dashes yeah. between there the the only thing that i picked up on with this and i suppose it'd be the same with any other similar implementation is that the key that you use to encrypt the values is and and you'll probably be doing this in your development environment so you're going to have to share that you know the app key between your development and your production environments otherwise mm. you will not be able to decrypt that those values right so there is a little so I, I talked to I put I talked to Marcel about this on Twitter. So the in the in the config that publishes with this package, you can specify what the file is that's being used 
mm-hmm. for the credentials helper there. Yep. And so what I would do probably in this case is I would use a separate development credentials path, like path than I would use from my production credentials path. Because actually I can't, I can't share my production ENV with my other developers. I'm the only one who has access to those. Mm-hmm. So I would need to be able to encrypt those myself and I would be able to use them as a backup. So here's what I would do. That value in that config would be switched by ENV for me. So right. I would I would have that value, the the path to the file that is the encrypted ENV values. For local, it would be like local.credentials. And for produ- production, it would be production.credentials. And you could have both of those in source control, but one of them would be locked and encrypted with a local key that I could share with all my other developers. And that would just be like the local ENV that we all share. And then the other mm-hmm. one would be encrypted with like a production app key that I would then be able right. to just keep to myself. Now, mm-hmm. I, could they fall out of sync? Yeah, possibly. But they're in source control now. So I can decrypt both of them, take a look at both of them, compare them, and have the ability to do that. Whereas previously, right, like the your local ENV is just whatever's on your machine currently. Um, and your production ENV is obviously you can go look at it. But does that make sense? Yeah. But still, you like if you're going to version them, you're... You know, you're not probably not going to do that from your production environment. Like generally speaking, you wouldn't make changes to version files on your production environment and then push them back to version control. You would make those changes locally. Yes. Yeah. So the so so what I'm saying is, I guess the key that you use to encrypt your production credentials mm. needs to be the same as the key you use to decrypt those credentials. Yes. Yeah. Which would be on your production server. So you would need to share that app key somewhere. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether you're sharing that key with your other developers or not is, is not what I'm getting at. No, 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 no. I'm I saying gotcha. that I'm saying that you would have to have the exact same key to both encrypt and decrypt, which means yes. encrypt on your local environment and decrypt in your production environment. So that's the only caveat that I can say, but, you know, no, everything really else is protected gotcha. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. So it's like you'd have to look at the PR of your other developer and you'd have to say okay i see the changes that are coming in here and then you'd have to like change your app key and then encrypt those values to the Mm -hmm. production one yeah yeah Yeah. i see what you're saying i mean i suppose it could be part of your ci process if you wanted to do it that Mm -hmm. way as well yeah and you could do whatever you needed to do you know you would have both keys i guess in the ci process which would take the, the 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 local versions decrypt the local versions change the key that's used and then use the production key to then re-encrypt yeah and then deploy that but i mean that way you're you're um you you're not you're not going to commit that to version control that way i guess in ci either because you know you don't want your ci environment necessarily to be changing version files so yeah i mean there are yeah i mean it's no different i suppose to having something like style ci swoop in there during your your uh your review process and doing things as well but definitely something to consider yeah no for sure you're you're absolutely right that i did not think about that when i was asking (laughs) that question because my original question was like oh could i have like a in there could i just have like a nested like a dev dot and a production dot Mm. like where i could access those via you know do it that way so i could just kind of have both in there my trick is that like for our certification stuff that we have, like we have SOC 2 certification, I'm not allowed to share some of those secrets with other developers because they can't have access to production data mm-hmm. because, you know, that could be problematic. 
So I have to keep that secret somehow. If you don't have to keep a secret about, about that stuff, if the only people you have to keep the secret from is the people who can possibly at some point see your source control, then this is perfect. This is perfect. You don't ever have to change. I mean, I guess that's not true though, because you still have the whole dev production thing because your dev credentials mm-hmm. are not going to be the same as your production credentials. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that that happened in in Rails as well. Like they've got encrypted credentials as part of Ruby on Rails. So, you know, it's I'm sure it's a solved problem, but this was just my first thought when I saw it hmm. is that, yeah, the key, the key is, you know, the master password, which means you have to know what it is at some point. And it has to be the same across all of your environments. Otherwise, you can't decrypt right. if, the, if the key is not the same. Yep. Man, all right. Well, we need to look into this a little bit more. Yeah. It's a I'm great... sure someone will solve this for me. They'll, they'll, they'll tweet at me and they'll tell me how, how to fix this problem. But that was, that was just the thought that I had had. I would still when use you... this, mind you. Yeah. And when you do hear from that person, please let me know so I can yeah. use this and abuse this. Okay. Hey, is there anything else do we that we forgot? Did we forget anything? We've, we we mentioned a few things earlier on, but I think we've run a bit long. So we will include those items in the show notes regardless. So if you are interested in that or indeed any of our community links, don't don't forget obviously to check out Laravel-news slash links, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really interesting ones out there right now too. Laravel behind the scenes, life cycle. So going through the whole life cycle of a Laravel application, CSRF, how it works. How to how verify CSRF token works and how to prevent attacks, um, dependency injection for beginners. Like so there's some really interesting and good stuff out there, uh, as well as like one on Laravel Cashier, which is very possible you've never heard of that before if you're newer to the mm-hmm. community that's been around for a long time. Though it can be super helpful. So, yeah, there's uh, there's some really good stuff out there. I would definitely suggest checking out the community links. Thanks everyone for for submitting those and we do look at them we just don't have time a lot of times to mention them on air so thanks everybody for contributing to the community in that way really appreciate it yep okay oh before we go i need to mention this hit me there are we we ask about community events going on about the place and the folks at laravel serbia reached out to me i believe that they they meet every two months. We'll include their details in the show notes as well. There's also a Laravel Conf happening in Taiwan in July of this year. So if you are in Taiwan or if you are able to travel, that may be something that you would be interested to check out as well. As I said, we will include those things in the show notes. And if you do have any other events about the place, I know Laravel Live Laravel Live UK, I think it's called. That's that's happening at some point in the near future as well. So Laravel community is growing all around the world. There's all kinds of cool stuff happening across Europe, across the US, across uh, Asia. Laracon is coming to Australia in, in October. So the community is definitely booming. There are more and more events popping up all the time. So get out there. If uh, if you're interested or, or start your own meetups and things like that as well, if there isn't one in your area. Speaking of community members, welcome back, Mr. Stauffer. He's mm. back. He has uh, written a couple blog posts recently and he just mentioned it. He's like, I'm back finally. Like I'm getting my life back. So welcome back, Mr. Stauffer. You have been missed. We're glad to see you back and able to have some time to throw into the community stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Look look for, keep your ears out open for a new Laravel podcast soon as well. Very cool. All right, everybody. 
I'm going to do our little sign out here. Thanks everyone for listening. This is episode 63. Did I get it right? 63. Got it. If you like this show, you can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 63. As always, if you like this show, please feel free to rate us up in iTunes, your podcatcher of choice. I heard the validation on iTunes is broken right now. Mm. And so five, it's only accepting five stars. I think anything that it doesn't, it doesn't actually work. So don't take, don't try it. Just take my word for it. Five stars is all it works right now. So just go hit the five star button. That, that's fine. And then if you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Laravel News. We'd love to hear from you uh, about how you are speeding up your application by doing it on top of Swool or by using any of these amazing packages or solving this whole credential problem with production and development stuff. So, yeah. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have a good solution, we'll mention it on the next show. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. Save us from our ranting and raving and... And rambling. Endless dribble. <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to go play some Street Fighter. <laughs> no worries. I'm I picked up David Donkey Hemphill. Kong on the Switch the other day. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm trying to get David Hemp. Oh, he said, yep. He's up. He's up for some games. If any of you have not heard of this, Fightcade, it's called. It's really fun. You can play old retro video games across the internet with other friends. So I'm going to go try and kick David Hemphill's butt. We'll see if it works. Nice. All Enjoy. Right. Good All luck. Right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks. See you all. Bye. Bye.